It is good to be back with you again. Uh, I mentioned to the elders uh, a couple of uh, a week or two ago in an email that uh, if we were not committed to Concord as our church home for, I guess, almost 30 years now, uh, we'd be here. We've enjoyed being with you all. You've welcomed us. Uh, we're excited about what God is doing and is going to be doing here. Uh, every time we come here, we go past the land that you have purchased, and we just think, what a beautiful location and what an opportunity you have to minister to this community. And excited to have Scott in our presbytery now and in our northern part of the presbytery. So, welcome. We're continuing to look in the series on the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. So, if you will turn there, we'll be looking specifically at verses 25 through 30, uh, the older brother today. Incidentally, if you don't already have, I would strongly encourage you to get this wonderful little book by Tim Keller entitled, The Prodigal God. So many wonderful insights in there, so I encourage you to, to pick one of those up. A while back, we had an event at uh, Concord, and I got there a little extra early because I was supposed to be leading and wanted to get ready and uh, prepared for that. I arrived about 6.10 in the evening, and I noticed that there were already a lot of cars there, and I thought, oh, this is wonderful. Uh, these people are really eager for tonight's program, and they can't wait to get here early. So, I walked in, and somebody greeted me and said, uh, you're a little late, Will. We started at 6. Somehow I'd forgotten that. Don't you just hate it when you're late for something or when you miss out on a party and it starts without you? Well, that's what happened here with this prodigal son's brother. If you've been here for the last uh, couple of last weeks, you have seen the messages, heard the messages from Luke chapter 15. You've heard about how the younger son collected his inheritance from the father early and decided that he was going to go off into the world and make his way. He comes to realize how sinful and how stupid he was, and so he goes back to his father, he seeks for forgiveness, and to his surprise, his father forgives him, welcomes him, throws a big party for him, and receives him back into the family. 
But the older brother wasn't there. Let's see why he wasn't there. Let's stand as we read verses 25 through 30. Now his older son was in a field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Again, take your holy, perfect word, apply it to our hearts, bring comfort where comfort is needed, bring challenge where challenge is needed. Holy Spirit, interpret the word to us. We pray that our hearts are ready to hear. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever wondered why a lion tamer takes a chair into lion's cage with him? Well, the lion tries to focus on all of the legs at the same time. And he becomes disoriented, and he can't focus on any of them very well. Well, that's what happened to the elder son. He wasn't at the party, it certainly wasn't because he wasn't invited. They started the party without him, but it was deeper than that. He had a focus problem as well. He was focusing on the wrong thing. Jesus told this parable to the scribes and the Pharisees, according to verse 2, because their focus was on the wrong thing as well. What Jesus is telling us today in this parable is that when we focus on ourselves, we fail to see others correctly. The older brother focused on the wrong thing. And I wonder sometimes if at times we aren't like the older brother. You notice that the old, what the older brother says to his father and about his father in verses 29 and 30 again. Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed you. 
yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. The older brother is sulking. He's not happy. He's mad. He's not even going to go in to the party. He's not pleased that his long-lost brother has come back home again. And that his father has thrown out the red carpet for him, welcomed him with open arms and given him the fatted calf and uh, the best robe in the house. Has he forgotten? Have they forgotten what the brother did, how he broke the family up, how he embarrassed, shamed the family in the community? No, he's not going to be a party to this party. He's not coming in. You get the impression from this verse that he looks at his father as a slave driver. He says, all these years I have served you, but that word for serve is actually more often translated very strongly, slave. I have slaved for you all of these years. And the father has never really appreciated it, has never apparently shown him extra kindness, took care of his necessities, yes, but no parties for him and his friends. He sees his father as very stingy as well. Regardless of how he slaved for his father, the father didn't give him all of these nice things, the fatted lamb or the uh, fatted calf, I mean, or the tasty lamb, or even a, a young goat for a special meal. He hadn't welcomed his friends into the home. His brother comes home, there's the fatted calf, there's the nice ring, there's the best robe in the house for him. This is just not fair. Can you feel how the older brother might feel this way? Maybe you remember the, uh, the uh, parable about the labors where uh, the, the master uh, hires some at a very early hour and they work and then he hires some more a little bit later and some more a little bit later and finally he uh, hires some an hour before it's finished time. And he begins to pay them, starting with the ones who only worked an hour, and they get what he had promised the others. So you can imagine the others are thinking, oh boy, wow, we're really going to cash in on this. And they get the same amount. Now, when you hear that parable, what do you think? Do you think there's some unfairness there? There's some of that in all of us. But this is a different picture of the father than the, young son, the younger son has. The father welcomes him, extravagantly celebrates his coming back. It's in fact the 
father's generosity and graciousness that prompts the son in the first place to even think about coming home. And he hopes that maybe, just maybe, the father would welcome him that way and receive him. And he does. He is surprised by that. The older brother, though, has in a way slandered his father. Why? Because it's all about him. I slave for you all of this time. I never disobeyed your commandments. In other words, look at what I've done. Look at how hard I've worked. Look what a good son I am. I deserve better than this. I think the same thing can happen spiritually also. When we focus on ourselves, we fail to see our Heavenly Father's compassion. When we take our eyes off of the only one who is perfect and holy, we don't look quite so bad anymore, especially not compared to the people around us. We think we can do what God wants. In fact, we believe that we have done what God's done. We've measured up to Him. God no longer is gracious when we have that attitude, or merciful, or forgiving. Instead, He becomes a lawgiver, a master, a lord, maybe even a slave driver. It's no longer really a relationship that we have with God. It's kind of a deal. I do this for you, God. You give me this. We do things out of a sense of deal and duty and not love. It's not a focus on the Father. It's a focus on what the Father can give us. We live the good life in order to get the good life from God. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot tells uh, a make-believe story. One day, Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and he says to them, would you carry a stone for me? Okay. So they all bent down. They picked up a stone, put it in their pocket. Now, Peter, always the practical one, looks for a small stone that's easiest to carry. So he puts it in his pocket, and Jesus says, come, follow me. And so they follow him for a number of hours. They come to about lunchtime, and Jesus says, let's have lunch. So they sit down. Jesus waves his arms, and the stones turn to bread. Let's eat. Well, Peter's lunch is over pretty quickly. After lunch, Jesus says, would you carry another stone for me? And Peter says, ha I see where this is going. So he picks up a small boulder and he puts it on his back and he has a hard time following Jesus from that point on, but follows him anyway all during the afternoon. They come to about dinner time. They're walking along a river, and Jesus says to them, 
throw your stones in the river. So they throw their stones in the river. And he says to them, come, follow me. And Peter looks a little bit expectantly at Jesus and a little bit dumbfounded. And Jesus says, what? What did I ask you to do? Did you do it for me? And the implication is, no, you didn't. You did it for the bread that you were going to get. Is that us at times also? When we become Christians, God has a very unique relationship with us. He's our Father. And we ought to be focusing less on duty and more on delighting in Him and enjoying Him and spending time with Him. But that focus only happens when our focus is on Him and it is not on us. How do we know if our focus is too much on us? Well, I think we can know if when things don't go our way, when life doesn't happen the way we want it to, do we get angry, bitter? When we pray, do we find ourselves praying and thinking of all the reasons that God ought to answer our prayer? When somebody else is blessed and benefits, do we kind of think, well, why him? Why not me? Are we focused on what we deserve? How we see God really depends on how we focus on ourselves. Do we see Him as compassionate, gracious, gentle, kind, forgiving, a father? Or do we see Him as Lord and as master? <clears throat> Something else happens when we focus on ourselves. When we focus on ourselves, we can't see our fellow humans' condition. The oldest son saw everything being about him. The younger son got the party, he didn't. The fatted calf and all of that, and he got nothing. Even though he stayed home, he did all the work. He kept things going. And you notice what he says in uh, verse 30. This son of yours did this and that. He wants to distance himself from his older brother, uh, from his younger brother. You don't want him in the family. He's not even in the same family. But the father reconnects and says, this brother of yours has come home. The older brother, what's he doing? He is focusing on his brother's failures. He sees the younger son's disrespect of the father, the way he uh, demanded the inheritance and left, but he can't see his own disrespect, the way he speaks to his father. 
No son should have spoken to his father that way. Look! Think about this! Is essentially what he's saying. He can't see how he disrespected and embarrassed the father by making the father come out of the party to come get him. He can see how his younger brother split the family and broke it apart, but he can't see that he has done the same thing by not coming in and celebrating. I'm sure there were people in the party who were saying, where's the older son? How come he's not here? The older son cannot see that his brother was lost. Now that word, again, is often translated more strongly ruin, perishing, destroy. He had destroyed his life, but his father was looking for him to come home, and when he did, he was overjoyed, ecstatic that he came back. What's the older son focused on? He's focused on the inheritance. We're going to have to split this inheritance again because my brother has come home. Look at what it's costing me. That's not fair. What's true of the older brother, I think is also true of any of us when we focus too much on our own conditions. We can't see the lostness, the needs of the unbelieving people around us. There was an American businessman and an amateur astronomer named Percival Lowell. Uh, Lowell. Uh, Mr. Lowell, in his using his telescope, thought that he saw, when he looked at Mars, lines running up and down all over the face of Mars. And he concluded that these were likely canals built by a very intelligent civilization there on Mars to bring the water from the polar caps to the drier equator. And he thought about that. He began to write articles about it. He wrote books on it. He traveled extensively and spoke to uh, sold-out audiences everywhere talking about what he saw. Well, a couple of years later, they discovered that Sir Percival was actually seeing the veins on the back of his eyes. He had something called what they eventually named Lowell's Syndrome. And what he saw in the back of his eyes, he projected onto Mars. That's what the older brother was doing. He saw his own sin, but didn't really, and projected it onto his brother. If we're focused on ourselves, if we're, we will focus more on the things that separate us in the thing, instead of the things we all have in common with each other. We're all sinners. We're all dead in our sin. We all need God's forgiveness. We all need His grace. We all need to hear the gospel. 
over and over again. But the more we can see those similarities, the more we begin to care about the lost and the life that they're living and how desperately they need the grace of Jesus Christ. We still need the good news of the gospel. All of us do. We need to hear what uh, Paul says in uh, Titus uh, chapter 3, beginning with uh, verse 4 or verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various uh, passions and pleasures, <clears throat> passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We all still need to repent daily. The scribes and the Pharisees to whom Jesus told this parable were not happy when sinners and tax collectors began coming home to God. If we don't rejoice when people come to Christ, we need to repent. There's something wrong in us. Our focus is wrong. You notice how the parable ends here? The younger son is forgiven, received back into the family, <clears throat> welcomed with oakman arms. What about the older brother? The jury's still out on him. Just like the jury was still out on the scribes and the Pharisees whom Jesus was speaking to in hopes that they would repent and they would come to God. Is the jury still out on us? Have we come to God in repentance? I hope you notice in here also, Jesus is the perfect older brother. Jesus is the one who left his father's home and his home in heaven. He's the one who came to look for the lost brothers, you and me. Hebrews says, he's a, too, says he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. He came to look for us when we were lost and dead in our sin, when we couldn't do anything to save ourselves. He came to bring us home to our Father. He gave us His robe of righteousness to wear when we come to the party. He shares His inheritance with us. So what I'd say to you this morning from this parable is 
Don't miss the party. Don't be late for it. Come in humility and in brokenness. What a perfect time for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is the marriage feast of the Lamb that He has invited us to. So I'll call the elders if you would come forward.